I think that we need to not underestimate a woman. That's something I've learned from the women in my research. If come hell or high water, they were going to get healthy. They were going to do it. You're listening to Mom After Hours, a podcast where we talk about the wins and challenges of being a modern mom. For real, we don't sugarcoat and we cover everything that is taboo. And don't you worry, mama, we save a seat for you. It's Brandy Wytrack, host of Mom After Hours, and I just want to thank you for joining me today. As many as 50 to 75% of new mothers experience a shift in their emotions called the baby blues after delivery. Up to 15% of these women will develop a more severe and longer lasting depression, which we call postpartum depression, according to the Cleveland Clinic. Today, we are going to talk to Dr. Walker Ladd, a thought leader in the field of maternal mental health for nearly two decades. Her writing and research challenge paradigms of motherhood and mental illness, and she uses women's stories to reveal the hidden truths and extraordinary dimensions of the lived experience of motherhood. Her research focuses on the transpersonal dimensions of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders across the lifespan, which includes postpartum depression, anxiety, psychosis, bipolar disorders, post-traumatic growth, traumatic childbirth, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, and the stigma of mental illness for maternal mental illness. Uh, Her much-anticipated second edition of Transformed by Postpartum Depression offers a timely and critical look at the current state of maternal mental health in America. She delves into the language of postpartum depression and argues that by changing the language, we change the meaning and thus can relate to the real stories of women's struggles and survival through the most common complication in motherhood. And we're going to dig into all that and more on today's show, mamas. Let's hit it. So you are a woman of many talents and successes. And on the outside, looking in, it appears that you have it all. Yet you've kind of gone through quite a bit in your years of life. What are some things people might be surprised to learn about you? Well, I got a good one to start with. My dad's side of the family, the lads, uh, were not that great. I mean, they were they were pretty, or they were really good at not being that great. So my uncle was with Charles Manson. <laughs> Wait, what? Your uncle was what? Friends with Charles Manson. Yes, you heard it right. Listeners. Oh wait, he hung out with Charles Manson. Was he one of the desert guys, like hanging out with him? No, in the desert? he what he they no he they were buddies in prison at San Quentin. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. And uh, I real I learned recently, like in the last year, that my middle name Walker, which is what I go by, was his middle name. I, I'm glad that I'm older in life when I figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like your name, Walker Lad. That's such a powerful name. Like I think of like, I don't know, like not like Indiana Jones, but I just think of like Walker Lad. <laughs> like it's like some TV show. But with guy, maybe I'm thinking of like Walker, Texas, Texas Ranger. What's Ranger. His name? Yeah. I know. <laughs> so I know. when I think of Walker Lad, I'm like, dun, like it's like a, to me it sounds very like cool, hip, Hollywood 
And another cool thing about you is that you just re-released the book Transformed by Postpartum Depression. It's been revised to include other amazing transformational stories of women who have just gone through some crazy times. Their lives were overturned by untreated postpartum depression. And the book, you go over the current state of maternal mental health in America. And I love how you weave the research throughout their stories. You did an awesome job with that. Why Why did this book need to be written? Well, originally, the first edition, I wanted to write it because I had done research about how women would transform through their experience. So I, I did my dissertation on the transformational dimensions of postpartum depression. And at that time, I was really interested, didn't think it was my experience with my own postpartum depression. I was interested in learning more about how women I was meeting in my advocacy work and in my writing, they had come so far and they had a sense of purpose. They started nonprofits. They were volunteering for support groups. They changed careers. They uh, left dysfunctional relationships. They, they were doing these things. I was interested in learning not only about their stories, but how they thought because they were, you know, women were were experiencing this huge change in perspective and life goals, and they attributed it to having had postpartum depression. So that was my entry point as a young researcher and my interest. And I published the book, and then five years pass, and I decided to write it again first because I wanted to revise what had been in the previous versions. Did your experience motivate you to actually to write the book as well? Like, I mean, even just coming up with the idea or was it your experience where maybe the system failed you and that kind of inspired you to dig a little deeper and conduct research on postpartum depression? Well, my experience definitely changed the trajectory of my professional life. And when my son was born, I had pretty traumatic childbirth that I talk about in, in the book. And after that, I developed postpartum depression and I wasn't adequately treated for a while. And yeah, it was an experience. I was camped out on my living room floor and very, very sick with depression. I almost took my own life and had to scramble to find and providers. And at that time, it was two, you know, 2000. You'd think that people would have known even then how to treat it, but they didn't. I had to write and scramble around just to find, first of all, figure out what was happening. And secondly, get access to treatment. And I was a mental health professional. It just finished my, my clinical work, my master's in clinical psych just finished my internship and I had shared with my OB that I had both a family history and personal history with depression. And I had gone off of my medication to, for a year prior to getting pregnant because I thought at the time that uh, would have been good for, for me and probably one of the, one of the biggest mistakes I made. So after Ziggy is his name, he's now 20, 
So after Ziggy was born in that experience, um, it, it pretty much destroyed me. And once I got better, I knew that I wanted to help women. I knew that I wanted to help them directly and in meaningful ways that were useful. So I actually became a birth doula. Oh, that's so cool. It was cool. But, you know, I had a doula and she was fantastic. But when I did the training for donor certification, I looked at the syllabus and the curriculum. And at the very end, the, on the last day, it's like a five-day training. The very last day was supposed to be about emotional support. And there was nothing about mood or anxiety disorders, nothing. So all of these women were gathered to become birth doulas. And how many birth doulas were there at the time and are there now? And I mean, I just couldn't tolerate the lack, the not giving practitioners basic information. So I asked the trainer if I could bring in notes. And I gave a little bit of a presentation on the last day of the donor training where I gave the PSI warm line number and talked about symptoms and um I knew as I moved through the birth world that there was a huge deficit in what um, moms had access to in terms of knowledge. And then that led me to become quite involved with uh, Postpartum Support International. And I started you know, speaking nationally. To answer your question, very long answer. Yeah, that without a doubt, my experience with postpartum depression. Um, so what are some of the big takeaways you had while conducting research for your book, was there anything that mm. you noticed that were just crazy or that you were extremely surprised by? Yeah, um, some good and some more not good. And in both both times that I wrote it, and it really feels like this second edition is a is a, a full, almost a brand new book because I've done so much changes to it. The thing that's that stood out to me was how, how pervasive provider failure was that these women, not only were they failed in that they either, they weren't screened for postpartum depression, but that they had to go through what I call the gauntlet of provider after provider after provider and asking multiple different providers for help. And either getting turned away or getting dismissed or getting bad advice. Um, I mean, from psychiatrists to psychologists to OBs to midwives to lactation consultants to childbirth educators to doulas, you name it, these women were failed. And yeah, that is horrible. It is. You actually made a point in your book. Um, you were referring to the women, the women's stories, and you were saying that their illness was generated by a system that failed them, not a body or a brain that was disordered. And that just really, really resonated with me because I, I believe it. I mean, yes, you know, some women can have a level of depression before they had children, but I truly feel that if you have, if you take a holistic approach after you have your baby and you have the providers and the experts at your side to educate you and give you the tools that you need to kind of see the light again, 
you can, you, you can recover, you, you transform, but I feel like you, you can be that person that you used to be again. But I really feel, I mean, like, I agree with that comment that like doctors and, you know, unfortunately I, the medical community, they get so much education, but I feel like the education and maternal mental health and just postpartum resources is just, it's null. There's, there's not a whole lot. And I do think it is getting better. And I feel like it is getting talked about quite a bit more just, you know, lately. I don't know. I feel like, oh, well, I mean, I guess part of it, you would probably know better, but I mean, just from probably because of me talking to my guests and talking with people on, you know, different social media channels, I do see that there's more postpartum support things that are out there. But the thing is, is the woman, the mom is having to go out and try to find it and do it all her own on her own versus being given these tools by her mm-hmm. midwife or her doctor or whoever it is that she's getting her care from. And I feel like as a medical professional, they should be the ones giving those resources, but they're not. Well, I have some thoughts on that. And part of what I've learned in this second edition is that I think that we have a tendency to rely on providers as women and we should that you're completely right. They should be screening us using, uh, you know, uh, good tools on an ongoing basis and knowing how to treat if we have any mental illness across the lifespan. You're right. They should, but they're not. And the prevalence rates for things like postpartum depression remain the same as they were five years ago when I wrote the first version. Exactly the same. The prevalence is the same. The risk factors are the same. The the science side of this that is looking at numbers shows that actually, you know, things haven't changed. We've gotten one good piece of progress in uh, medication that has come out um, that continues to to expand. But in terms of prevention um, and screening to prevent onset. No, things haven't changed. And this is where I believe that we can empower women to learn the language that they need to know to be able to go to their provider and say, I have this and know that the words that they use, the provider will understand. So it's like woman has postpartum depression. She goes to OB for a six week checkup. So the OB and the woman are both in the room and Right now, the only language that the OB has to assess her health is medical language. And yeah, we need to fix that big time. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I feel like even just, I mean, I had my daughter three years ago and I think like there was never, I mean, I went to a really good hospital and I love my providers. I love my OB guy. I'm like, my team was great, but I know that when I had my checkups for my daughter, you know, like we having them, it seems like every month or every other month, it seems the only thing they would do is just throw this piece of paper at me that had five questions on it and fill it out. And I, there was never like any talk about like how you're feeling. Everything was always about the baby. And I guess as long as I guess I I know that we are responsible for our care and we have to speak up and advocate for ourselves, but not but I was not all not everybody's good at that. Not everybody's good at speaking up. You know, a lot of women just don't do that. 
And I don't know, like I feel, I definitely feel there's some room to grow and I don't, and I don't mean to condemn or put down doctors and stuff. Cause obviously they're, they're paying major money to get their education. They're going to medical school. They're doing their residencies and their fellowships and they're expecting to get the education that they need to do their job well. And then, you know, I think it just depends on what hospital you work at. There's some hospitals who are more therapeutic and holistic and just, you know, the way that they handle patients, they do it a certain way. And then you go to some other hospitals and that's just, that's not part of their process. Right. I would, I would push on that a little bit and say that I, I've grown in my own perspective on providers through the research and, and that I do, I am my perspective of what women can and cannot do. I think that there's, if providers in the system, the medical system, globally included mental illness within physical illness, then the system would more adequately address it. So the education that uh, providers get would include mental illness within the same kind of structure as physical illness. We're just not there yet. And I have seen too many women suffer and lose their lives. And I, I don't you know, kind of from a, a feminist perspective, I would say that I think that we need to not underestimate a woman. That's something I've learned from the women in my research. If come hell or high water, they were going to get healthy. They were going to do it. And they fought to the nail. And I don't think that that should be the case, obviously. Uh, we should change that. But I also think that we need to not separate women's capacity to understand their body and their brain from the baby and reproduction. And I think, and historically we've been told, you know, just give it all over the hands, you know, to the providers because they're going to, they know more. And we've done so much progress in terms of childbirth advocacy. Women are taking birth plans and women are getting that, affirmation in their birth communities and their childbirth education and their their neighborhoods and social spheres, but we're still not talking about mental illness. And once that happens, I have no doubt in my mind that women will feel completely comfortable addressing any provider and asking for the care that they need. Look at lactation. Mm-hmm. Perfect example. Women advocate for their breastfeeding needs and desires. And that's their advocacy is equal in power to the medical providers. And that science backs it up. So there's a perfect combination of science saying this is one of the best nutritional resources for your baby. And women have also said, don't tell me what to do with my body. Maybe, maybe we will get to a place where women can say, don't tell me what to do with my brain. I'm going to tell you that I have a family history. I'm going to tell you that I have something called anhedonia, which means I don't want to do the things that I usually like to do. I'm not sleeping. I'm trying almost like an involuntary leap. Um, I'm having thoughts of harming myself 
or of leaving, completely leaving my entire family. We can tell women to and empower them to do that will create the causes for systems to change. Long enough to think the system's not going to change until women change it. I know that it's still hasn't moved a whole lot with, I mean, like with the the maternal mental health in in hospitals and getting, I feel like the proper care that moms need postpartum. But I feel like women are slowly speaking up when they have problems with depression or just mental health issues as a whole, feeling more comfortable about just even talking about mental health because, you know, it wasn't that long ago where that was considered taboo. You don't need to talk about your feelings. You don't talk about if you're suffering from this or you're suffering from that because then people are going to look at you differently or think that there's something wrong with you and want to put you in a mental institution versus actually getting you help and care and I feel like, you know, a lot of moms are just so afraid to speak up unless we're like in an embracing, loving, you know, supportive atmosphere where we can be completely vulnerable and say, you know, I don't like my baby or I'm having suicidal thoughts or I don't want to be a mother anymore. If we continue, and this is why I love having, you know, speakers like you come on the show. If we continue to have this conversation and let women know that this is something that is common and this is something that we have to know that our doctors, unfortunately, were not given as much information on this stuff as they have with their other education. So we really have to advocate for ourselves. And when we're struggling, and if we're not feeling like that person that we used to be, and we're crying, and we're extremely anxious, or we're exhibiting those symptoms, we have to take our power and say, I need help. And you got to fight it tooth and nail until you get it. And you just, you can't accept no, you know, you, you've got to just stick up for yourself to the, to some of these providers because I don't know, it's just, it's not easy to do when you're, when you're struggling already and you're running on two hours of sleep and you're crying and this and that. But I, I applaud the women who put out there, I need help. I'm struggling. I can't do this. And so if we can feel comfortable to ask for help, then it's going to make other moms realize like it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to admit you're struggling. Believe me, we all had those struggles. Some of us are good at hiding it and some of us aren't, but we just need to continue to ask for help and let people know, make it just normalize talking about Mm -hmm. mental health and normalize talking about postpartum depression. I do think that awareness has gotten better, but studies show that 50% 50% of women go untreated, wow. untreated. And for women of color and women of poverty, these numbers skyrocket. In developing countries, postpartum depression or perinatal mood and anxiety disorders are off the charts as high as in the 70%, you know, um, and you applaud the amount of awareness that's, that so many advocates, my sisters in arms. I'm going to put my my hero, Jane Honickman, as the person who started the entire thing, at least in the United States, of being an advocate and talking to your peers about needing support. So I'm optimistic, but I am also realistic about, I think it's easier to to say, we'll talk about our, our mental health than it is. 
especially for moms, because I still believe that a mentally ill mother is the scariest functional construct of stigma alive. Have you to do there? It goes beyond being mentally ill because you add the mother piece, and that's old stuff that we've all internalized over centuries of religious teachings and uh, mythology. Uh, you know, Medea is, is a huge archetype. So we kind of, we're, we agree as a society to be really frightened and repelled by women who, who are mothers who have mental illness. Women's health definitely still has some room to grow. With, with the knowledge and not just the maternal mental health, but as a whole, I feel like the books need to be rewritten. The books mm-hmm. need to be revised to be way more inclusive. Women are different than men. Our bodies are different. The way we respond to people, the way we respond to things, our brain, everything, I bet we're different. And to just lump women's care in with just the general medical books and stuff like that, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just hey, feel like I, the, I feel you. like our medical system as a whole, medical education as a whole, needs to be completely rewritten. And I would extend that even to our 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 trans sisters mm-hmm. and their experience. And um, there's a lot evolving. I think maybe perhaps one of the outcomes of being in a pandemic will be a reexamination of what is important in our medical systems. Um, I, I also think this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think we need to, um, we need more women in the field. We need to, we need more women consumers who know the language that they can say. I used to be on an SSRI and it worked really well. It's called Zoloft. And I have the provider say, okay, then they're communicating, they're saying the same language and she can get help. I think that we can educate women and women can educate each other. And um, that's a bigger conversation. Cause yeah. I think we, we get, you know, we want to, we want to give support, but do we want to give power in knowledge? We have, we still struggle with that. I can support because that's kind of, you know, socially, that's what women do. We support each other. Can I turn up and say, here's the book. Go get them, girl. That's harder because we have to set set ourselves aside a little bit. Yeah. Maybe I'm just old and crusty and (laughs) I know I'm old and crusty. I don't think that's it. I don't think you're old and crusty. You know, I just want to share a good birth outcome. You know, so with, because it's, it's related to what you were just saying, which is so important because I think women still struggle with how to do it right from child, from the minute you pee on the stick to the, you know, when they're graduating high school. <laughs> and, you know, my experience with Ziggy, I went off medication to do it right. I had a doula to do it right. I planned for a non-medicated labor because I thought that was the way you were supposed to do it. I forced myself into 27 hours of horrific labor because I was telling myself that that's 
the right way to do it. And I was telling myself that because others had told me that. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to birth number two and my, my girl, my sweetheart, Miles is her name. And I got a team together, man. I got the Justice League. I was down back down here in California. I got a an OBGYN who knew the facts about the safety and efficacy of SSRIs in pregnancy and agreed to work with my psychiatrist at the UCLA Women's Life Center. I had a therapist on board and my OB worked with those two providers and had great experience. I didn't have postpartum depression. Wow. That's, that's great. I also didn't have a traumatic childbirth because I chose an elective cesarean. That's, you know, the empowering women involves empowering them to have access to all options. Yes. The options that work for them. And my OBGYN, I told her my story of my traumatic birth where I felt my C-section with my son. And we made a plan as to how to go forward. And she gave me the information about VBAC and said, you know, you'd be a great candidate. These are your options, but I hear you and I will help you do this. At the time, she went so far as to say, you're on Zoloft. I was on Zoloft my entire pregnancy with my daughter. She said, if you, when you go into labor and we head to the hospital, bring your own. And I don't want to have to write it in your chart because the nurses will give you a hard time. That's see, that's hard. That's, I don't know why we got to be so judgmental of everybody and just how, how we choose to we're human do things i know but it's just that shit pisses me off (laughs) (laughs) no that's just frustrating but it's true though about the stigma thing like where i was one of those people that wanted to go in and have a natural birth and i didn't want to have you know epidural or any kind of drugs and it wasn't because i'm crunchy granola or i'm like I care about all these chemicals in my body. Like, seriously, it wasn't even that. It was because I felt like if I had the drugs or the pills, that meant that I wasn't a good enough mom or strong enough mom if I had to be medicated. And I could be like the other women around the world that don't have that option. So if they can do it, then I should be able to do it and I should fucking toughen up. And that was more of like what my reasoning was. But I feel like we just need to stop. We got, I mean, yes, we're human. We're all, everybody judges everybody. But it's like, come on, people, we're all moms. We're women. We're, we have enough people attacking us and bringing us down and just the normal day to day that, you know, can wreak havoc on your, on your life. It's like, don't, don't tear other women down. Come on. There's got to be something that you have in common with this person. You could look at them and you might not think you have anything in common, but you do. And if you give yourself a chance and give that person a chance and that mom a chance, you will find that you guys have a lot more in common than you don't have in common. So yeah. Amen, sister. Yeah. That's just, oh, that's one thing that I just, uh, God, that pees me off when I see moms like bickering back and forth online about, oh, you can't give your kid this or why? Oh my gosh, you're going to do that kind of birth. And it's like, I'm so glad to be past that stage of parenting. I'm so glad. Uh, When I was a doula, I had clients ask me to go buy formula for them because they were afraid that they would be recognized at the supermarket. 
Oh and my I, gosh. Again, That's sad. We, as white women too, we have got to do better by our, our sisters of color. I agree. We just have to. I mean, the mortality rate for black women is off the charts. There's data about how under medicated black women are during labor because of internalized stigma or internalized prejudice or beliefs or assumptions and perceptions that Black women express pain differently, or they can tolerate pain more. So I, w- I always want to try to put another, I feel like this is an area that's growing, and that's awareness among communities of color, that, that women in those communities are really taking it, taking the bull by the horns and advocating for them and their children and their, their sisters. Very cool. Got to keep going. Yeah, it's just bottom line. It all stems back for me to they need to rewrite those medical books and they need to make it more inclusive and they need to break it down to how it's different for women or for women of color. And, and mm-hmm. you know, just and have those conversations like when they're when their teachers are telling them to read chapter 10 through seven and do this quiz and whatever, <laughs> when they're in medical school, they need to also be having conversations about how to take care of people from different cultural backgrounds and different colors and saying, you know, and based on the research, this is what you might experience, but you need to remember this and this, their history and what they've gone through or this and that. And it's the thing is, is it's, we've, we've got, we got to do better. And I think the medical community, I think they know that. And I know it's a massive undertaking and yes, we can always do better, but you know, baby steps, obviously we Mm -hmm. can't write this stuff overnight. We will get there with people like you writing these books and people, you know, and us sharing this kind of information, we will get there someday. It's going to be baby steps. It's not going to happen overnight, but if women of color, trans women, women from all over the world continue to speak up to their providers or continue to speak on their platforms about what they need. I, I feel like it's it's going to get better. This wave that's building. I'm just now starting my own new study about um, the experience of postpartum anxiety during COVID. So I, I think you're right. I think baby step. No, that would be a very interesting study. You're going to have to let me know when that one comes out. I don't know how I might also have experienced strength and resilience or better access to care. I don't know. That's why we do research. I can't assume that I know what their experience is. All I can do is ask, tell me. I wouldn't be surprised if I found that women find ways to have found ways to help themselves through both anxiety and COVID. I'm very fascinated. I'm interested to see what I'll find. Yeah, I'm interested too. Hey, knowledge is power. Like you said, knowledge is power. So where can our listeners learn more about you, Dr. Ladd, or the book Transformed by Postpartum Depression? Well, they can learn about me and the book at my website, which is walkerlad.com. And there's a link to the book there where they can find the book at Amazon. And it's a great journey. You know, I also want to share that I am really glad to have professionals who are really well-known in the field. I have had the opportunity to interview them for the book. 
And so Jane Honigman, as I mentioned earlier, I interview her, Karen Kleiman, Jane Shakespeare Finch. And in this version, uh, this recent edition, I got to interview Peck Inman. So it's it's nice to have a professional perspective as well. It's very interesting too, what they say and how they perceive things. It is. And that's you it's such a well written book. And like kudos to you, hats off to you for all the work that you put into it and for giving these women also the opportunities to share their stories. You are a superstar. Pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Dr. Ladd. You are awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Mom After Hours. That was Dr. Walker Ladd. And if you'd like to learn more about her or her book, Transformed by Postpartum Depression, Women's Stories of Trauma and Growth, you can check out momafterhours.com forward slash episodes or check out the show notes. I loved talking with her today. We talked for quite a while. Of course, this is an edited episode, but her and I dug into so many other wonderful topics surrounding maternal mental health. And I'm thinking that I might have to have a little bonus episode. I so appreciate you supporting the show. If you have not yet subscribed, mama, you know where the button is. Hit it, hit it, hit it. Until next time. Love you, girl.